the club on the hill Dundalk Rugby Football Club in this week's program, we will focus on the club's rugby achievements from the late 70s straight through to the noughties. We will first hear from two key club men, Tom Riley and Robert Shackleton. We will start with Mr. Robert Shackleton, a man regarded as one of the greatest captains ever to lead a side. He will talk about his lengthy career and that of many others at Dundalk Rugby Football Club. Yeah, well, I, I would have uh, gone to boarding school in 1973, and that's the first experience I would have had of rugby. Uh, and after six years, uh, I was decided I was going to come home to the farm, so uh, I needed some kind of a hobby to keep me going. So the rugby club in Dundalk was the one that beckoned to me, because being from the RD area, I suppose, uh, the McGee connection at that stage was a big big thing and Jimmy Shannon as well would have been another uh, Alakadu or he was still training the team at that stage in some, at some times so that would have been one of the major influences on me going to the dog rugby club but as a 12, 13 year old uh, was probably something you had to do but uh, it kind of gave you more status within the school as you played rugby as you went up through the years so and just really started with a big physique and being quite slow around the pitch I was put into the lock forward position and I kind of stayed there I might I was I came down training and I told David Carney who was captain at the time that I just wanted to play with the under 19s and uh, I trained with the under 19s for a month or so and then I was asked to play uh, adult rugby with Tom Riley in the third A team so I probably played with Tom Riley for two or three months and uh, got a bit of a grounding there into the difference of the game at that stage was you're dealing with uh, big men compared to what I was a fairly a bit of a fledgling at that stage I got a break then to play for the seconds before Christmas and I kind of got on the first then before through a few of the different rules they had at that stage you didn't go down and grab a guy by the legs and lie on the ground or anything like that I was pulled out of a ruck by Harry Jeffers one day who told me I was going to get killed if I continued like that. So you learn very quickly. The older guys are looking out for you as well, so they're kind of protecting you. Having said that, I admire the guys now, these 19, 20-year-olds, and they're holding their own in tough positions in props and second rows, and they're doing very, very well. So obviously they're doing a lot of weights now and things, so they're a lot stronger guys. Be strong, but haven't got uh, the ability to go at the speed. That a long, long time ago I can still remember how that music used to make me smile. Dave Carney was the captain still at that stage, and he was a very well organised captain and very well respected. And certainly by the likes of me, young guy, being just asked to play with those guys was a, was a massive privilege. Richard Jeffers would have been uh, one of the leading lights who played rugby in New Zealand and. Uh, he was a total legend, as you might say these days. John McEvitt, Bob Rutherford, and then the backs with a young Johnny McCabe and Jerry O'Hara, who are probably the new team that were coming part of the new team that was coming along at that stage. Declan McCabe, Jim Martin. So those are you know a lot of good steady players. On to the great John McEvitt. Yes, I remember John's year didn't start off very well. After Christmas, the cup came along, and we were playing the cup favourites, Nace, and there's no one to get uh, people motivated like John. When he speaks, everyone else stays silent, and it's all absorbed. And uh, got a response that day, 
uh, we absolutely hammered Nice. It might have been a, a low score, but we felt we hammered him. And uh, we got on to a good cup run then, and we were very unlucky to lose in the quarter-final. So I was starting to find my feet a bit at that stage and kind of felt I could make the, make the grade at some stage. Uh, we had a very, very good year. I knew if I had my chance that I could make those people dance and maybe they'd be happy. I made, well, I was a very young guy and I was, again, I was well-minded. That's why one guy went back out again. It, it certainly was... Uh, uh, it was incredible to think that, uh, you know, the city, Las Vegas, a city that doesn't sleep. And for young guys hitting that, I can remember some guys that haven't been kind of lifted off poker tables when we left. They just were, <laughs> they were able for it okay, but uh, well, the money was still... As far as I can remember, we were pitted against quite stiff opposition. I reckon the guy I was marking when the match that had played for the U.S. Eagles the year before, so in their uh, American football tributes, they knew how to hit hard. They were big, strong men. And then uh, you had an influx of expats from uh, maybe New Zealand and Australia. So bye-bye, Miss American Pie. Drove my Chevy to the levee, but the levee was dry. With a new captain the following year, a very well-respected guy who made his name on that tour, Phil Finnegan. He was asked to captain the club the following season. He was a, a great motivator, but I think we just didn't have a good team together that year and we were demoted out of the junior league. Phil answered the call and he came back the following season and we got promoted again. And I'd say that was kind of the seeds of the Towns Cup team were kind of formed in the transition from Philip Phil's first year to the second year. It was building. Jerry O'Hara had probably gone to Scaries and Jim Martin had gone to Scaries, who would have been there in the early 80s, and Declan McCabe also went. And... You know, those guys, we had to get new players in to fill their places. But they returned for the cup season of 86-87. So they had gained a lot of experience at that stage. And then a few other guys came along, Andy McDonald came along. And people started to blend together, playing the nutty crust up in Portadown. We had won that Johnny McCabe's captaincy in 1985. So that was another bit of experience. Like There was some tough opposition up there, the likes of uh, Enniskillen and Ban the Hinch were always very tough teams, and you certainly knew like they were good farming teams as well, and they were physically strong. And uh, I think when we were able to uh, take on teams like that, our own belief started. Really. Towns Cup rugby is somewhere where you remember your defeats of the previous years, are probably your biggest motivation. There are always a lot of sad stories, what ifs, and we'd had a couple of them against Longford and Athai in the previous years. Well, we were fighting on two fronts. Junior League was a big competition that year, and we'd started to go very well in it. And I don't know what the secret ingredient was, but we just got started early, and we got a bit of momentum going. And it's like anyone says, momentum is very hard to stop. And we got to the final of that league, and that had straddled uh, the Towns Cup matches as well. So we possibly had to play a first round of the Towns Cup, then the semi-final of the league. It was hard to have total concentration in the Towns Cup. We were lucky we got a draw against Tullamore team early on. And we went down to Tullamore and we won convincingly enough. So I think the league final was coming along after that. And uh, that was an epic day. We played very, very well, but we didn't win the match. And it's one of those hard luck stories we'll always be talking about in this. Eden Derry won side of the league final then as well and we'd long for four or five days afterwards because we played the league final on St Patrick's Day and we were asked to play the quarter final five days later and created its own difficulties because we were probably uh, still suffering from the defeat. Scraped past Longford 
scraped past us the year before and we put the rights to wrong that time. I think it was the first time we'd hit a semi-final in 16 years. Uh, we'd drawn Tullow in the semi-final then, which was the easier draw because we'd, uh, Kilkenny were on the other side and they, were, they had two ex-Irish internationals playing with them, so we wanted to leave those as long as we could. Well, our coaching staff had been boosted by uh, Tony Steen had come on to coach the backs. We had a very talented set of backs and Eamon Maguire was coaching forwards. You know, it was the first year we had two coaches involved Aim had been involved for years and uh, they worked off very well because we knew Kilkenny had a big heavy pack and that we had to run them around the pitch mm-hmm. and a lot of things ran in our favour we played them on the driest pitch in the country and we played them on the hottest April day I think there was for years having said that hadn't uh, helped us much we were 6-0 down as we hit injury time of course that, that guy you might, John McKevitt appeared again and took a ball forward from a, a line which he wasn't supposed to do of course but he decided it was time for someone to step up and win the match. And, uh, I think it was Jim Martin crashed over for a try in the corner. There I kind of said to myself, well, at least we're, we've got something out of the match anyway. So Andy McDonald had the conversion, which I kind of would have re- regarded as a 30% chance of kicking, but Andy nailed it and it was extra time. And uh, it was just like Kilkenny had gone off the pitch after that. They just went for the scored a try and a penalty or in, in extra time. Small things change matches. We had hoped that we might would win the the league the next year. Fancied ourselves winning the league. Jim Martin took over as captain. Eamon Maguire was a neighbour of his, so the two of them were working well together and we were going very well with all winning the league and it was only a matter of turning up to collect cup medals at that stage, we reckoned. Uh, but that were sadly put in our box the following year. We didn't win the league either. We did well in the league, but we didn't, we didn't win it. So it was just hard to get exactly to the same place again. Uh, even though all the players had come back, I don't think anyone had retired. Great buzz around with, the, with those players. I suppose three or four of them were in the 30 bracket, uh, but you know, there was no hold back. They were ready to play play on. They couldn't get anyone to captain the team the following. Unfortunately, they traced back to me again. The first year, we didn't go very well. We had a very average year in 89. I think the seconds were a good team. Kieran Hare was captain the seconds, as far as I can recollect, and they, they were a good team. We are probably just getting a year old in places. Andy McDonald had uh, emigrated, and he was a bit of a loss. Some other people just weren't taking it seriously. Things changed. I think it was in 94, 95, yeah. Uh, Mark Hayden had been captain in 93, 94. And that was a, a landmark year, because one night of training, two South Africans uh, turned up on the side of the pitch. One guy about six foot four, about 17 stone and very fit looking and the other guy uh, just uh, an, ordinary, an ordinary back let's say but he was a, a very very quick back okay. and I think they were looking for a match and they were asked to play thirds following Sunday the guy was playing so Johnny Vazaki he scored four tries against Navin that day so suddenly we reckon we might have a look at these guys and if Johnny and uh, Rian Borster they became part of the club for the next six months they kind of helped us to get to another league final, which was another day uh, that we left in Donnybrook. We were playing against St Mary's, and uh, again, we had our chances and didn't take I was asked to captain the team again because the junior league was being broken up. The Dublin clubs were being asked to run their own league. The junior clubs were being pulled together in three different divisions, purpose of grading the top clubs to make the present junior one league. And it was essential that we would get into the 
the first division because if we got stuck in Division 2 for a couple of years it could be a hard, very difficult to get out of it so we scraped into Division 1 in that 94-95 year that was probably our only achievement of the year we did enough Current League is a more fair way of playing league matches if we were going well in the old Junior 1 League you just never knew who you were going to play against the Dublin teams could toss in whoever they wanted like it was one week uh, Conor O'Shea was uh, asked to play for Lansdowne we played Lansdowne one week at home in Dundalk we beat them played them the following week in Dublin and suddenly Conor O'Shea was able We hadn't really, uh, no, we hadn't really gone. gone like the, the Towns Cup team, apart from John McEvitt, Johnny McCabe had emigrated as well in '89. So, you know, there's a few voids as well. No, things probably got worse because we had a coach in who was covered by the false scheme, a guy called Mark Benton. He was a very strong player. He got a very strong discipline ethic. Kind of a lot of the older guys played like they were younger guys. But had retired and came back from retirement. Pat Hughes was captain, but we had a lot of guys. Johnny McCabe was back. It was almost like old times. Half the Towns Cup team were playing again. George Clare was captain of the seconds, but he ended up playing on the firsts. Mark Hayton, he was back playing again. We won, we won the Junior League in the first year of an inaugural year. Yeah, we were the first winners of that league, but uh, the Leinster branch or the RFU had decided that the winner would not go senior that year, the first year. It had been decided before the competition started. That was a big... Yeah, we won the Naughty Cross, won the league, so the 20 years of cup rugby... I didn't miss a cup match for 20 years, I was told. So it was time to stop. Just the love of the game. And I couldn't really retire if a guy like John McEvitt wasn't retiring. Like, he was a few years older than me. <laughs> you couldn't really bow out unless you got an injury. Being locked, you're probably not as exposed to injury. And I'd always maintained that I, uh, I, I trailed after George Clare around the field, so he got the first tackle in, and I usually didn't have to tackle then. Yeah, yeah, the need to get something tangible, I think, is a, it means a lot. It means a lot. And I think that team that got medals a few years ago, it, it will stand to them. They will get back together. They will come back to Dundalk and something will happen. Well, I think it's when I was a young guy down there, those people doing the same for me. You, you learn off your elders. It's just a natural progression. And, you know, when you're on the way down, I think every team that has someone experienced in, in the ranks, that are, someone that is coming down from first to second or third, it's invaluable to guys. It can raise the performance of those uh, younger guys by 20 or 30 percent just knowing how to use their energy it wouldn't be something you're conscious of it's just something that happens something kind of when you see a team going well you're usually aware that there's a little catalyst there that's making it happen coach can't uh, coach when you cross the white I think it does transfer to people uh, possibly the thing that most people that convert from GAA to rugby they have to cope with the referee because the referee is the ultimate ball and if you can't handle that then you're not going to fit comfortably in the game you know the utmost respect for referees even though they get criticised quite a lot but they do command a lot of respect on the pit rugby ethos and it's very important that that stays like that I think I think it's the envy of all the other uh, teams the fact that uh, rugby you know referee I don't think I'd have ever found a position in, in uh, soccer or Gaelic football. Skeen described himself as, as like turning an, an articulated lorry in a bathroom, and that would be my uh, way of managing as well. I would be very slow and uh, that kind of thing, but uh, you just rugby has a place for everyone. You can have small guys as scrum halves, uh, heavy guys as props, tall, lanky guys as second rows. Mm-hmm. Possibly that culture is changing a bit because they all want to be bigger now mm. in all positions and leaner so maybe the, the you know they've been close to they got to a final in 2000 we just didn't 
perform. I wasn't I wasn't playing, but they just didn't perform that day against Navin. So I think you know you got to another final. It was very important to make the most of it. I would be not on the periphery of that team. Uh, Playing it, but uh, the fact that I kind of stepped away from it altogether, I thought something from the past would be nice just to. But like Stephen's uncle was probably the most influential person in the 80s in the club as well, or not, and early 90s. He was president in the early 90s, and uh, he was he was a great man for. He was the Towns Cup captain before I came along. But people maintained that he lived well. On, he, he dined out well on the experience. Uh, he didn't hide his life under a bushel. Uh, but he was a you know absolutely massive influence in the club. We'd done everything in the club from committee and everything like that. And I'd feel guilty. I hadn't served with committees or anything like that apart from his captain. And that's right. There's very important links to the families in 2011. The three families, three. Uh, was Andy Mann and John McEvitt. And I think that's testament to the work they actually did with their sons when they were coming up through the ranks. They took those teams on board, like Derek, had taken, Derek Williams had taken his team on board, Andy McDonald had taken that team on board as well. So it just shows what can be done and the influence those guys had after playing. Next we will hear from Mr Tom Riley, a rugby coach who has contributed greatly to the development of youths over the years. Yeah, this is Tom Riley. Um, I've been involved in uh, the rugby club since 1979. I've coached um, all levels. The late Pat Egan in uh, around 1978-79 introduced me to uh, coaching because um, I was a young um, teacher um, back from from England where I learned uh, all about rugby. I did it as my um, main PE subject and uh, I hadn't um, seen a rugby ball hardly until I went to, to college. Gaelic football was my earlier sport. But I, I took it to like a fish to water and I got a, a distinction in the teaching of rugby for my final exams. So it was like a, it became a drug to me after that. And when I came to Dundalk, I was just too uh, too happy to get involved with the coaching in Dundalk. And I started, myself and Frank Mullis started around coaching around 1979, 1980s. I then became youth coordinator in the early 80s. I ran at the school primary leagues. I also coached the 11s and 14s. That time too, the late Sean McCabe, Bill Bourke were hugely involved in the coaching of various youth teams. Later on then, we, we, we had various victories with the under 12s and it was under 11s in those days. Myself and Frank, Bill and uh, Sean had uh, some fine victories with under 14s and 16s. In, 19, in the heritage year 1980-89, the late Vinnie McGee, the uh, president of the rugby club at the time, saw a big big vacuum at the under-16s, under-18, learn-filling teams. I had sort of retired as youth coordinator for a number of years, and then Vinnie asked me when I come in in the heritage year and restructure the whole secondary school system because years and years ago it, it had been very successful, but... It had, there had been no second school rugby in many, many a year. So I went in and I, um, I started off the secondary leagues at under 15, under 16, under, under 17, that age group. And within a year or two, it was spectacular results we had because there was a huge response from the secondary schools. Uh, we had massive numbers then coming out to the rugby club to train at under, under, under 16, under 17. And from then on, we were then filling under 18s and under 19 teams at the rugby club, which we hadn't done for years. The under-18s then in Lancaster were, were very successful. We had 
we reached 18, uh, three under 18 finals, and we didn't win any of them, but for, for where we'd come from, that was a good success. And we produced many, many players for the Leinster youth level. Barry, your brother, Kelly, people like that. And we also produced three for the Irish youth team. Martin Carr, in fact, in 1990, I think it was around that time, he was the Irish on the 20 front row was Martin Carr, Keith Wood and Paul Wallace. And we all know where Paul Wallace and Keith Wood ended up on the Lions teams. So Martin had the distinction of playing Irish on the 20s with them. David Carlin then and uh, John O'Hanlon also played for the, for the Irish youth team. So it was great success then. And we also had in, in, in Ulster in the Armagh Flutter Tournament, which was a very prestigious tournament, Dundalk under 18s were the most successful team in that for years. We won it one year, beaten in two finals, and we had reached the semi final nearly every year we entered it over a period of about eight or nine years. Then, I think the time then, the, the biggest victory we had was the, um, the, the Leinster under 19 title in 1991. That was the, it's known as the Harry Gale. The Harry Gale is a very prestigious um, competition with all the top teams in Leinster entering it. We beat the, the Curra in the final in January 91. The opposition for the Corrid were mostly sons of army army people. The two Heaslips, Jimmy Heaslips, two brothers, were much older than Jim. Jim is the youngest of, of that family. And uh, Graham and Richard were playing on that team in 81, which we won. With. And it was a tremendous victory for the club, but I think it's the, the first and only time we've won the Harry Gale. That was really the golden area for me when I was uh, coaching. Oh, many. Uh, in, the, in, in the 90s, I would say... the. The bulk of the, of the first and seconds would have been uh, players coming through from that era. It did it produced great dividends. The efforts we put in then in the secondary schools. The secondary schools at that time weren't playing in the Lancer competitions, but in the, in the years following that, uh, the, the years that we won in, in the in the mid nineties and up in the thousands and that, the Randall colleges uh, did enter the uh, Lancer branch competitions which would be the, the Lancer Schools, the eighth competition, which would be the lower competitions. It wouldn't be the, the top level in the rugby uh, planes, the Lancer Schools, but still the standard would have been quite good. A lot of players did, certainly. went on, even the captain, the team, the team like Noel Woods and that over the years, Martin Carr, Kieran O'Malley, the Megans. There, there's just, you know, there, there's any, any amount of players in that era went on to the firsts and the seconds and mm-hmm. thirds, went on to become um, committee man, members. It, it was a very successful period. The, the, the fruits of, of that time are still in the club at the minute. There are still many young lads in the club at the minute. There's a, a, a great uh, number of parents who are, who are interested in coaching their children. And um, it's, it's, it's really been very successful at the minute. There, there are so many coaches out there, it's unbelievable. And the number of children out there, um, although I'm not involved myself anymore, I, I, I spent um, a long number of years over over 23 or 4 years coaching on an annual basis on successive seasons so it was the club is in very 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 safe hands there there are tons of coaches loads and loads of young lads out every Saturday I believe it's in very good hands very successful under 18 level and under 16 level over the last number of years having won Lancer titles the club is in a healthy place as regards youth rugby there is a, lar- a large tradition family social aspect to the club there are a number of families over the years who have been, I'm thinking now specifically of the McGee family, Paddy McGee and, 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 and Vinnie, who's, and Hugh, who unfortunately have, have passed away. But they were stalwarts of the club for many, many years. The culture of players coming through of, of the older families is still there. They're still the, the traditional families were there over the years. But there has been 
being in of new families as well who, who may not be traditionally affiliated with the club over the years it definitely provides a good family entertainment out there on Sundays there's a good culture about the place and Tommy Campbell the the manager of the club uh, the foreseer and he does everything Tommy he also has his own family working there so he encourages and still is in the club a great family spirit along with the president uh, president Kieran Hare I came to the club. There's always been a great, a great. Uh, there's always been a great atmosphere about the place, and there's always been a great buzz on match days. There's always been a great commitment from an awful lot of volunteers over the years, and um, that is still going strong at the minute. Yeah, well, it was just um, privileged to have known Pat Egan. Uh, Pat was a pure gentleman. He unfortunately lost his life in a car accident many years ago, and he introduced me to the Dundalk Rugby Club. I'm eternally grateful to Pat Egan for. Friends introduced me because Dundalk Rugby Club had fulfilled my life for many, many years. Also, Vinnie McGee, unfortunately, Vinnie has passed as well. He was another good friend of mine and got me involved as youth coordinator. There were other, other people who have passed on too in the club, and uh, Paddy McGee, Vinnie's father, and Hugh, and Kevin Hanratty. They were great rugby men too, who contributed so much to the success of the youths in my time there. All sports give a lot to people. Young men, by and large, need have an, an outlet for their natural aggression that young men have, whether it be boxing, swimming, Gaelic football, soccer, rugby. What a lot of people find in rugby is that their natural has a legal facility there for them to do. They're, they're tackling, they're running, team spirit builds up on them. Rugby is perfect for any young man to let out that natural aggression that he would have in a legal way. But rugby also, it, it reveals the character of the person because there's no hiding place on a rugby pitch for anybody. If you don't make your tackles, you have found out, you have found out very quickly. It, it builds character, but it's the ultimate team sport in my book. The team is only as good as its weakest link. It is, in my book, nearly the ultimate in, in, in field games when it comes to building character.